Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Well, good morning. If you are new to our church, my name is Dave. It's my privilege to have served as the lead pastor here for a lot of years. I think I'm on, thanks Ryan, I'm on year 20 here at this church, and uh, once in a while, you look at something familiar that you see all the time, and you're captured again by how much you love it, how beautiful it is to you. Uh, you know, sometimes I'm driving my car, I'm like, man, I really love my car, or I look at my kids, and they're just so cute on that particular day to me. And I, this is one of those days where I feel that way about our church. I'm really, really grateful for the church God gave us. And uh, I, I think one of the things I want to say to you is if I weren't pastor here, I'd still go to this church. And I think that for me is one of the things that I feel happiest about in my life is that I'm with you just because you're my family and not because this is my job. So I want to thank you for being a faithful church, a beautiful church. And I just wanted to share that before I get into it. Um, if you are joining us for the first or second time, we've been working our way through a series called Life-Changing Conversations. And the primary context of the series is that, you know, we're meant to shine a light into the world, to let people know about this wonderful invitation to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that's an area of our lives that many of us find very difficult. And so the purpose of this series is to help us learn how to do that effectively. I hope you're also finding that the principles of this series extend beyond just evangelism or sharing our faith, that it would enrich and open up all of your conversations and all of your relationships in life and make them more meaningful. I really think that we need to elevate what it means to talk to another human being because I think so many words are exchanged and so little is really said of any worth or substance. So when we talk to each other, I think it's important that we really say something meaningful more often to each other. This morning, I want to talk about serving. Serving people and serving with people. Because even though it doesn't feel like intuitive, really serving people opens up so much conversation. The truth is that I really don't enjoy being sold on something. I don't like when I could tell right away. Nobody, you know, when somebody comes up to you and they really want to talk to you, but you find out they really, in the end, want to sell you something. Why do you keep asking me all these questions about what I eat? Oh, because you're selling a dietary supplement. I get it now. And the minute you sense that they're trying to give you something, your heart closes up. But, but to, rather, when you're selling something, but when somebody's serving you, it has a way of opening your heart up. And it's not a bribe so much as it's a, an actual human connection. Woodrow Wilson, who was the 28th president of the United States tells this story about the effect that certain people have on other people. And I want to share this because it's one of my favorite stories. He tells a story of a time that he was in a barbershop before he became president. Barbershop, that's something that's just disappearing, right? But he was in an old-fashioned barbershop, and here's the story he tells, okay? I was sitting in a barber chair when I became aware of a powerful personality had entered the room. 
a man had come quietly in upon the same errand as myself to have his hair cut and sat in the chair next to me. Every word the man uttered showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. And before I got through with what was being done to me, I was aware I had attended an evangelistic service because Mr. D.L. Moody was in that chair. I purposely lingered in the room after he had left and noted the singular affect that his visit had brought upon the barbershop. They talked in undertones. They did not know his name, but they knew something had elevated their thoughts. And I felt that I left that place as I should have left a place of worship. What I love so much about that story is it's a reminder, even if you don't know the reputation, the importance of the person you're with, that some people, just in their essence, in the way that they choose to conduct their whole lives, leave an indelible impression upon other people. Think about the fact that nobody in that barbershop really knew who Moody was, and Moody sat next to the future president of the United States, made a powerful impact on him, had no idea that he was doing that, that he would become a part of the future president's story. But what I love about the story is that when we live a certain way, we cannot help but touch the lives of other people in a positive and significant way. I think the reason I like this story is it reminds me that the kingdom of God is not spread simply by the speaking of words. I don't think that we spread the gospel by talking about a message only, but that in the end, we also are an important, indispensable part of the message. In fact, if you listen to people who are turned off by Christianity, just listen to people who have a chip on their shoulder about Christianity. They rarely talk about the message being problematic. They rarely talk about Jesus being problematic. They talk about the messengers as being the real barrier between them and the gospel. I could handle Jesus. I could handle the gospel. It's all you Christians that take me off. And that's why it's so important for us to remember that our lives are an essential part of God's plan for expanding his kingdom and making this great invitation known to other people. In a way, we are like, if, how many teachers are in the room? You guys use visual aids, right? Visual aids. You can't just stand up in front of kids and just talk. That doesn't work. You need to bring like three friends up and have them fall asleep on the stage. Without things like that, the kids just, you lose them after about five seconds of talking. We are, in a sense, God's visual aid. We help people see the words that are contained in the message. But you know what's even more important than that? We're not just people who are living illustrations. But as we do that, as we live among others, we're supposed to have an actual impact on their lives. That God doesn't just want people to get the message. He wants their lives to be enriched, blessed, and benefit from interacting with other Christians. I guess another way of saying it is what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 13 to 16, that we are supposed to influence the world around us. Look at what it says in Matthew 5, 13 to 16. These are very familiar verses if you've grown up in the church. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. 
You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In his famous Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus said to his followers and by extension to us is that the Christian faith is not just a private faith. It is very personal faith, but it's not a faith meant only to enrich our own lives. There is a public component to the Christian faith that is indispensable. And I want, as you hear that, I want you to think about this. In your own pursuit of Jesus Christ, in your own relationship with God, how much have you been actively aware of the burden to be public with that faith? See, I think in a therapeutic culture that is the United States, we have a hard time thinking about that responsibility because for us, everything in our lives is meant primarily to enrich our experience. So we think about Christianity as a way to make my life better. And until my life gets up to a certain level, I can't really be distracted by your life. My life is still a mess, and I'm using Christianity to make it unmessy. And then at some point, I will think about your needs and your burdens. But the truth is, from the very first day of knowing Jesus, there was always meant to be both a public and a private aspect to the Christian faith. And that's really what Jesus is saying, is he's telling us, you are the salt of the earth, and the light of the world. Notice he didn't say, please act like salt and please act like light. What he's saying is that is actually what you are. Whether you want to deny it or not, this is an undeniable truth. You are, in this world, part of my unfolding plan. I have an intention for you. I've put something in you, a capacity, an ability, and it's you. It's who you are. Your presence is, in the world, in the relationships around you is not accidental. It's not coincidental. There's a purpose to why you live among the people you live among, why you do what you do for a living and have the friends that you have. That a part of God's plan for you is that you should have an influence on those people around you in the same way that salt cannot enter a dish without changing it, affecting it, in the same way that light cannot enter darkness, no matter how great the darkness, and not have an effect on it. So I want to think about those images that Jesus used, because I think they're very significant. And one of the things I first noticed about the image of salt and of light is that if Jesus tells us that's who we are in the world, it also points us to something true about the world that needs salt and that needs light. And so to understand why God tells us that, we have to understand something true about the world we live in. In Jesus' day, salt had two very important functions. The first of those functions was to act as a preservative. And I want you to think about life in a world without refrigeration. I don't even want to live in that world. Do you guys ever see an old Harrison Ford movie called The Mosquito Coast? It's a really old movie. I Anybody over 40 remembers that movie. And it's about him. He's doing some kind of work in the jungles of Central America, and there's no refrigeration, and somehow that becomes a central issue in the movie. And I just remember thinking for the first time, holy cow, what would life be like if everything you left out went bad? 
In the movie, they got a large block of ice and it was like this big day because they finally got a little coldness. Imagine life without that. And so this is the nature of the world we live in. When you leave perishable food sitting out, the natural course of it is what? How many of you want to eat raw chicken that was left out for five days and then I grill it up for you? Mmm, that's good eating. Nobody wants to eat that. Because it'll have cheese on it, even though you didn't put cheese on it. You know what I'm saying? It's disgusting. The natural course of this world is that stuff rots. It decays. If you leave it alone without preservative, it will end up inedible, rotten, dead. And I think what Jesus is saying is human life works pretty much like that. And you don't have to be a genius to know that's true. Just think about your life. Even some of you guys in youth group are very young. Don't you already have friends that you used to be so close to that you hardly know anymore? You thought you'd be friends forever. I had a friend that we actually cut our fingers open and exchanged blood. I wouldn't do that anymore because of all the bad stuff. But, you know, back in the 70s, it was a simpler world. And we became blood brothers. And I thought forever we're going to be like this. I still know the guy, but it's nothing like it used to be. And what I've observed, I know you've also seen is that everything in this life falls apart. Stuff doesn't just stay fresh by itself. Marriages, families, business partnerships, things you thought would always be so good, if you leave them by themselves, drift towards decay. It's just the way it goes. It's just the way it goes. For some of us who maybe grew up in immigrant homes, you know that your parents' house may be something like that, um, I don't know what it is about Asian immigrant parents especially, but like they're very frugal. So unless it's broken, they don't remodel, they don't freshen, they don't repaint. At least that's how it was growing up for me. And so it was like watching a time capsule. Your parents' house probably looks and smells and sounds exactly the same as it did 30 years ago when they bought it. And I think that's just the way our lives are. If you leave something alone, it doesn't just get better and newer and fresher on its own. So that's the role that Jesus is calling us to play as Christians, is in the midst of things that are always falling apart. Jesus says one of our great gifts to the world is to stand with people and fight against the decay. Now, when you watch a family or a marriage or a business or a friendship falling apart. It's messy, isn't it? It's uncomfortable, it's painful, it's awkward, and you might dip your toes in and try to say a word or two, but chances are really staying engaged with those people through the heartache, through the eye of the storm, is more than most people can handle. You know, there's an interesting psychology associated with chronic pain because the person with chronic pain are always uncomfortable. And after a while, what they say is the the hardest part of it is you can't even share it with people because how long can you live with someone who every day, 24 hours a day is going, oh, oh. And after a while, you're like, can you stop? Your pain is making me very uncomfortable. If listening to their pain is hard on you, imagine what it's like to live with that pain. And yet even knowing that, the natural instinct for most of us is, oh, that's really awkward and uncomfortable. I'm just going to steer clear of that. I'm sorry you're going through it, but I cannot be here for the whole story with you. 
And what Jesus says is that one of the great ways we serve the world around us is to stand in places of decay and fight alongside of people against that decay as a human preservative. I think some careers are more in tune with this than others. And that's why some of you, what you do for a living, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can't disengage because it's inconvenient. You've got to see it through to its final conclusion. Social workers, counselors, in some cases teachers, law enforcement people, medical people, you know what I'm saying. It's the same way if you're a parent. If your kid's a mess, you can't go, oh, I'm going to take you back to the kid's store. I'm going to start over. You're with them until the day that they're done. And so I think one of the great gifts we give to the world around us is to fight the decay. And when you do that, in the midst of standing with someone, when everybody else has walked out, you'd be amazed how many life-changing conversations arise out of that. I think the reason most people don't want to have deep conversations with us is because our commitment to them is not very deep most of the time. But when you go deep with a person, you go deep also in conversation. Salt, in Jesus' day as in our day, also has another function. What is it? This is a simple one. Well, it makes things, I don't, you can, it's a value judgment, say it makes things yummy, but it sure makes things salty, doesn't it? Like, it affects the flavor of something. Most Sundays when I, I drive Johnny to AFC, we stop at McDonald's and he orders fries without salt. Once in a while I borrow one and I'm reminded when I taste Johnny's fries without salt that I don't really like fries. I like salt and ketchup. (laughs) Fries are a delivery mechanism for salt and ketchup because that's the taste I actually like. So here's what it reminds me of. Salt reminds me of the difference between taste and flavor. Chefs, can I get an amen? Okay. If all we had was taste, we wouldn't need chefs. We just need assembly robots. Here, put these ingredients together. But flavor is something else. Potatoes and oil have a taste. But when you add even a dash of salt, suddenly the fries have a flavor. And really, that's another part of how Jesus intends for us to affect the world around us. Do you guys remember VHS? Now, this is the, the picture on the left is 480 resolution, okay? I think it's 480p. And even that is like crystal clear compared to VHS. I dug up an old VHS tape. I tried to look at the picture, and I could not believe we used to watch entire motion pictures at that resolution. I I pitied my former self for having to endure that. And it's a strange thing, but lately, I'm digging up old movies that have been remastered to DVD and watching old movies again where I can actually see what's going on this time, and it's changing the experience for me. But as we've, and I've lived long enough to witness a slow evolution in the quality and resolution of TV images to soon where we're going to see 4K. Has, has anyone seen a demonstration of 4K? It's amazing, isn't it? It's almost like what we see every day in real life. And really, that's, that's the interesting thing about it is 
at each incremental stage of the evolution of TV resolution, it's not like you were mad about what you had before. It was as good as it got, so you accepted it. You watched whole movies in that resolution. But the next new thing comes along, and rather than hating what you had, you're captivated by wonder at what you could have. The new thing resets the bar for us, and we wonder then, how could we ever have been satisfied with that? When we went from VHS to DVD, I was pretty much done. I'm like, that's it then. We've reached the pinnacle of visual entertainment. And then I remember walking to a Sony store at the Huntley Outlet Mall, and they had a side-by-side comparison of DVD and Blu-ray. And I, I was like this. And my wife said, like, come on, we got to get shoes. I'm like, get, get away, get away. And I'm staring at this thing, and I couldn't believe it. And when I saw Blu-ray, I just assumed, that's it then, we're done. And then I saw 4K. My life was changed. And then guess what happened next? They're talking about 4K 3D. And you know what the irony of all this is? What we think is so awesome is simply just approaching reality. We're just grateful that what's on the screen is what we... I see all of you in 4K 3D all the time. If I ever want to see that resolution, I have to just stop watching television and I got it everywhere. Immersive experience, IMAX, 3D, whatever. That's the the effect we're supposed to have is that there are people walking around thinking the conversations they have, the experiences and emotions they feel are as good as it gets. And then they meet you and realize maybe, just maybe, There's supposed to be something more than what they've contented themselves with. See, every once in a while, tell me if this is true, you meet someone who you suspect is more fully alive than you've ever been. Somebody who isn't just punching the clock and making the donuts and driving to work and, all right, it's Tuesday, just like Monday, and tomorrow's going to be Wednesday. Just like Tuesday. Do you ever feel like that's the world you live in and you meet someone and they're like, yeah, I'm climbing a 14,000 foot mountain next weekend and I'm just, I'm vibrating with aliveness. And you're like, what? How do you do that? And it's not like it's just that they're doing exciting things or that their real life looks like your Facebook illusion. But the truth is they seem to be at the heart of things fully alive. Like every nerve is firing. They think about, they experience, they dwell on things that are richer and deeper than the stuff that occupies your mind. And you walk away from that encounter thinking, am I missing something? And I'm not talking about despair or guilt or shame or comparison. I'm talking about wonder, a sense of real wonder of could I possibly be missing something? Because when I'm with that person, I feel more awake. I feel like this conversation I just had with them is qualitatively different than every conversation I've had in the last year. Why is that? Why does it feel so different that after they left the room, I am still echoing with the effect of being around that person? I think that's the effect D.L. Moody had on the people in that barbershop. He had no idea he was doing it. He was just alive. And those people in the barbershop were like, dude, why do we feel like this even after the guy left the barbershop? 
In T.L. Moody's autobiography, here will be the entry. I went for a haircut and a shave. It was a good haircut and a good shave. And a bunch of dudes were staring at me. That's it. To him, he's just being alive. But the way he was alive was more alive than most of the people around him. And they felt it. They caught the scent of it. And it created a sense of wonder, an appetite for things they didn't know they were hungry for. And I want to challenge us that that is at least in part the intent of Jesus for those who follow him, is that we would find our way through him to life that is truly life. Really being alive, not just being alive, but living. So that when we're with other people and we leave the room, they are left with a sense that I've been in the presence of somebody who isn't just marking time until they die, but they are engaged and activated. They are truly, truly experiencing what it is to be a human being on this earth. I think one of the greatest acts of service we offer people is to just be fully alive in their presence and let them feel that sense of wonder that there is more than the workaday drudgery that passes for living in most corners of the world. And I'm not talking just about trying to make your Facebook wall look like you're having an awesome, amazing life. I wish more people would just go, hey, I woke up and my dog crapped on the carpet and that's my life. I mean, that's part of it too, but I'm not talking about trying to create an illusion that you do nothing but cool things all day long. I'm talking about just being around you and sensing that you think about things that are real that you're motivated by things that are important. That has an effect on other people. And some of you have really had that effect on me. And I think it's profound when we do that for one another. When we think about serving people, we so often think about ladling soup in a, in a mission and, and you know, filling bags with, with pre-made meals and all that. That's serving. That's, don't get me wrong. That's a very important aspect of serving. But I think Jesus intended service also and especially to be deeply, intensely relational. That we're not just doing what robots will someday do, but that we touch the people we're serving. That we have an effect on them that is profound. Let me give you the last image that Jesus used. is light. Light. Okay? <clears throat> when I was in Indonesia, I went to a reflexology clinic. If you don't know what that is, it's a massage place. Okay. Reflexology is a different kind of massage. They really feel out where the knots are and they go for it. And it's a very interactive kind of experience. I'd never gotten a massage before in my life. That was my first one. And uh, in this particular place, all the massage therapists were blind people. Okay. All of them were blind. Only men would massage men. Women would massage women. And I soon discovered why it'd be very inappropriate for you to do this stuff across genders. It was incredibly inappropriate for even a man to be doing some of these things to me. What I noticed was this blind guy, his hands were his eyes, and he could see, man. I, he could see so well. I'm like, dude, are you faking or are you really blind? Because he, he really knew his way around my arms and legs. It was a great experience and a horrible experience at the same time. Here's what I do know. I was impressed by how well he managed without sight. But given the choice, I know for a fact he would rather be able to see. It doesn't matter how well you've learned to manage in the dark. 
Nobody chooses darkness over light if they're well. No sane person would choose to be a functional blind person over a sighted person. I can't imagine how we would do that because light and vision are some of the most important things in the human experience. And I thought about what it's like for people who live in darkness because that's a biblical image. That though they think they see, they see as a blind person sees a face by feeling with their fingertips. It's a kind of seeing, but it's not truly seeing yet. Imagine trying to describe the color blue to somebody who was born blind. How would you do it? I'd be like, all right, look at that avatar. You know, like in that movie, Avatar, what's the movie? You know, the guy was blue, like the color of the sky. What does that look like? It, and at the end, you're left with things like, it's just kind of bluey, right? It's, I don't know how to describe it. It's cool. It's bluey. How would you do it? And what I realize is if you don't have light and you don't have sightedness, the only thing you really have left is visual, a verbal description. Verbal description. And when Jesus says we are the light of the world, I think one of the things he was really trying to say to us was, you cannot describe the kingdom of God with just words. Some people try, but it's just not enough. The kingdom of God has a majesty, an earthiness, a realness that you cannot grasp just by describing it verbally to people. Any more than you can describe the color blue to a blind man and he'll perfectly understand and grasp what blueness is. I've heard and preached sermons about the eternal security that we have in Jesus Christ. I've said words like, because of the gospel, we don't have to be afraid of death. But can I make a confession to you? Those words strung together can stir my heart a little. But there are days in the quiet of the night where I wonder just how unafraid of death I really am. Just how free the gospel has made me from the fear of my own death one day. But walking with my friend Rich that I shared with you his story, dying just before his 40th birthday of pancreatic cancer, leaving behind a widow and three beautiful kids... And watching him face his death, unshakable in his love for Jesus and in his peace to the very end, that was more transforming for me than every sermon I've ever heard or preached about eternal security, about hope, about peace, about eternal life. That messed me up. It blessed me in the best possible way. My friend Rich helped me understand that the gospel really does free us from the fear of death. You can't know that until you watch someone face death unafraid, and then you get a glimmer of hope. This is the kingdom of God. It is more than words. It is words that have radically changed the course of a human life, so that in places where I suspected it is impossible to believe God, you can believe him. Because these are more than words. It is the truth. Do you guys get that? That our lives are like light turned on, truth made visible. 
Our lives are when God says, I'm going to break through the barrier of verbal descriptions and use more than words to show you my kingdom because it is powerful and it is beautiful and compelling and you cannot lay hold of it just by talking and talking and listening and listening. Sometimes you have to see it lived out for you to understand just how potent this gospel really is. You know, one of the things that Jesus says in this passage is, even though we are salt and we are light, it is possible to be those things and never share those things. That salt can be rendered unsalty. And what he meant, I think, was this, that you can't actually make salt unsalty, but you can make salt functionally unsalty by never putting it on anything by keeping it in the shaker forever. You can have the brightest light, but you put it under a bowl, it might as well be turned off. And here's what I think he means. That even while our lives can broadcast the beautiful truth of the gospel and of the kingdom, we can choose to turn off the signal. We can choose to hide what is emanating from us, radiating. We can cover what is meant to be shared. Here's another another way of saying it. If your Christianity has been for you mainly a private and personal experience, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) Something's missing, and it's something essential that's missing. It's not like you got most of it, you just missed the last chapter. There's something completely off in the way you're trying to understand the Christian faith. That we are the salt and we are the light and those things only find their fullest meaning and value in the context of meat that is decaying, of food that is flavorless, of darkness that hides the truth. It makes people blind. Saltiness and light find their greatest potency when they're expressed, when they're shared. And if in your life it's been a while since you've shared the life coursing through you because of Jesus Christ, then something is missing from your experience of being a follower of Jesus Christ. And I don't say that to rebuke or to scold or to condemn anybody. I'm saying to you, if you've always felt unexcited and unmoved by being a Christian, it could be precisely because you are not serving and shining and preserving and flavoring the world around you that you feel like this is really a dead and empty experience. We must never let evangelism be reduced just to words. The words matter for everything. You get the words wrong, nothing else we do matters. But evangelism and the kingdom of God is more than just words. It is words that have found their way into bone and muscle and into the human heart. And when it works itself out that way, those words have incredible power to affect the world around us. Let me close with giving you a couple life applications. The first is find somebody to serve. And before you um, think about 
a soup kitchen or a care center or things like that. I, I want you to be attentive to those things. They are important. I'll get to that in a second. But start a little more relationally. Think about someone whose life at some place in their life is falling apart. That they're watching something die in their life and it's really hard for them to walk through that death by themselves. Think about somebody whose life feels to you flavorless, like they are so satisfied with things that are so less than what they could have and whose life you could flavor. Think about somebody who sat in a church for decades and never once felt alive in the experience. Someone who said things to you like, I don't really get why we keep coming. I mean, that sermon was kind of funny, a good story here or there, but I, I don't get why everybody's so worked up about this stuff. Find someone like that who needs for you to be salt and light in a very personal and lasting way in their life. I'll bet you that person is right in front of you already. Not literally in the row in front of you, but that person's in your life. And I want to reframe serving in these very personal and relational terms. Because I think one of the easiest things to do is ladle soup. Next. I've served. I've gone to feed my starving children, and I know that it's a good work. I'm proud of what we do. But I can also confess to you, there are days when the only thing I'm thinking about while I'm there is we've got to beat the last crew who came through here. 70 boxes, guys. Let's go. And it turns into like this amazing race type of mini game. And I go home feeling good about what I did, but not really feeling the fullness of serving. Because I acted but I didn't influence and I didn't affect. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I, don't, I want to say that without in any way denigrating the experience or value of ministries like that. That if it's just about moving my muscles, I think we're missing the boat on what Jesus meant when he said, I want you to serve. I really want you to serve. And the next time you're at a service project, just look around and, and ask yourself, am I being salt and light or am I being a good Samaritan? Am I just being what the Peace Corps, what the United Way could just as easily be doing for their fellow human being? When the communists took over Russia in 1917, they did an interesting thing. They attacked the church, but they didn't make it illegal. But in the 1918 Russian Constitution, Article 16 basically declared that it would now become illegal for anyone but the government to help the poor. So what they did was they said, church, you can keep on existing, but you cannot help or serve anyone in need. And when they took away the ability to serve others, within 70 years, the church in Russia died, even though they had full freedom to exist and to expand. So even though I'm talking about the relational component of ministry, don't get me wrong, even simply scooping soup into a bowl matters for the kingdom. We need to at least be doing that much to say that we are serving the kingdom. We need to at least be doing that much. Because you take away serving and the church dies. Find someone to serve. And then serve. And let me give you a second thing that is a little counterintuitive. Find someone to serve with. We Christians don't have a monopoly on caring. We have a monopoly on Christ. Nobody else has Christ, so we have all of him, okay? But we don't have a monopoly on caring. 
So when we invite others to serve alongside of us, one of the important things that does is it allows us to stand on some common ground. Now, it's not the ultimate common ground of Jesus, but at least it's this common ground that says, you care about your fellow man, and so do I. Let's stand together. And in a world that is increasingly selfish, it can be a very, very refreshing thing. In fact, you know, when somebody says, how many of you guys go to work on Monday, and it's like you never left high school? What you do this weekend? Dude, I got so wasted Friday night. <laughs> I didn't even know where I was till Sunday morning. And you're like, I remember hearing stuff like that when I was 18. People love to talk about the fun stuff they did on the weekend, but man, if you invite someone to serve with you and they fed starving people, they will talk about it all Monday because it has a profound effect on them. That in this self-centered world, to do something like that inherently by its own nature feels good and people will find it very refreshing to be invited into something like that. You'd be surprised if you invite people to come serve with you that many of them will say yes. And standing on that common ground, you can begin to have some really life-changing conversations about what it really means to love somebody else. I'll close with this. Some of you this, this past week saw a movie called Dropbox. Raise your hand if you saw that movie. Okay, so some of you saw that movie. And the great story is not just the story of the man who's featured. That's Pastor um, Jong-Nak Lee. He was a pastor who was burdened by the plight of the abandoned, discarded children who had disabilities and disfigurements and were being thrown away in South Korea. And so he built a hatch into the side of his house for women to anonymously drop off babies they didn't want, and he would raise them in this orphanage and love them in Jesus' name. But one of the compelling stories that came out of this film was a director, a kid named Brian Ivey, who, living in Los Angeles as a student, read the story of this man in the L.A. Times and was so moved, even though he was not a Christian, he felt that it was critical that he do something to help this man in this noble work. So at the age of 19, he raised up investors, he gathered up a film crew among his friends who were fellow students, and they flew 6,000 miles to South Korea and made a movie. Now, he, he made a couple confessions. One was he wanted the proceeds to fund this good work, but he also wanted to win a bunch of indie film awards and make a name for himself in this industry. Totally honest. So that's why he went, as a crusader for what is good and as somebody who's looking to make a name for himself. But as he worked alongside this man and as he watched the inexplicable selflessness of the ministry... It fried the circuits of his soul. And as he worked side by side, recording and documenting this work, he met the Savior who inspired it in the first place. At the end of the film, there's this powerful testimony, and it just reminds me that some people will not meet Christ until they do the kinds of things that he inspires in this world. And standing on that common ground and seeing Jesus fully alive in his followers will be all the testimony they need to shed their doubts and to trust Jesus as their Savior. What a powerful, powerful testimony of the effect we can have on somebody else simply by serving God 
serving others. Can I just invite you to bow with me? And I want to make this personal for you this morning. And not in a way that produces guilt, but that produces reflection. I'm speaking especially to those in our church family this morning who in this present season of your life can say honestly, I'm not serving anyone but myself. It's all I can manage just to survive. And if that's where you are, please understand, nobody wants to add more burden and weight on your shoulders. You're there because right now it's probably the best you can manage. The last thing I want to do is make you feel guilty about that, but I want you to know something. That one of the ways we come fully alive as Christians and lay hold of the power that's spoken about in Scripture is by giving and not just receiving. That's the irony, the unexpected twist in the story. Is that we're waiting for heaven to pour down the rain. And what we come to discover to our surprise is that when we pour out, we feel fuller than when we were waiting for the rains to come. If you have not been serving anyone, can I challenge you to try? You may be surprised that as you serve, you will start to feel more alive in Christ. Some of the burdens you're bearing and the pain in your life will disappear in the light of Jesus' love flowing through you to somebody else. Some of us have mastered the Bible. We pray a lot. We stopped smoking and drinking and dancing and rated our movies and all of that. But one thing that's always been missing is this component of service. Maybe you used to serve long ago. For some reason, you just stopped. I want to invite you to start again. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you'd like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.